Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where please open your hymnals to page 15 and let us all rise together, set our sights to the goat above, and with one voice, let us all sing, He is Him, It is Lit. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander, Tommy, have you ever heard that liturgical worship song, He Is Him, It Is Lit? Um, I have not. I don't think I've heard that one. Okay. Well, it's a classic. I would advise you and your family to, if you ever go to church, uh, to sing that song. Um, but you know what else is a classic? Last night's game versus the Clippers. Ayo! Ayo! (laughs) (laughs) So, as you all know by now, the Lakers ended their 11-game losing streak to the Clippers by beating them in overtime 130-125. And, man, what a game. Uh, That was a hell of a lot of fun. And just stepping aside a bit as a Lakers fan, if I was an outside observer and just tuned into that game for the first time, I think I'd instantly become a basketball fan after watching that game. There were like tremendous performances by several players on both ends, dramatic storylines that peaked and dipped for certain players throughout the game, namely Austin Reeves, insane highlight plays, uh, obviously that Austin Reeves lobbed to uh, LeBron James, our new Mona Lisa, and then several role players stepped up in huge ways, Kawhi and PG going off, Russell Westbrook actually having a pretty good revenge game till the end. Uh, And then LeBron obviously went supernova in the second half, especially the fourth quarter, and then the return of him. It was fun. It was lit. Tommy, what did you think? I know for a second there, it looked like it was going to be a very frustrating night for us Lakers fans, given the fact that the Lakers came all the way back from down 19 and then had a nine-point lead with two minutes left and then started giving it all away, and then we had to go into overtime to finish it out. And it was looking like it was going to be a very frustrating night if we had come away with the L. But now that we have the W and taking a step aside as a fan, I feel like that was the first Lakers-Clippers game that kind of lived up to the hype since these, you know, big duos were assembled. And since maybe that one game that we had against the Clippers in 2020, right before the league shut down due to COVID. But yeah, how did you feel just about watching the game? Was it fun to watch, even though I know you were DVRing it? Yes, it was very fun to watch. Um, I, you know, 
and by the way, I DVR, but, and this is so annoying, and I don't know how long I'm going to be able to sustain this. I actually don't look at the score. So it's like, yeah, it's like, it's yeah, it's like I'm watching it. it. It's like, I'm obviously not live, but I don't look at Twitter. I don't look at texts. I, I just try to take it at, you know, for what it is. But anyway, I, I texted you earlier in the day and I said, you know, the Clippers have traded four forwards and they are have a depleted roster, but somehow, you know, Kawhi's going to go for 30, Paul George is going to go for 30, Bones and Norman Powell are going to go for 20 each and we're going to lose. You just, you, it's like, this is how, for some reason, this is how this team always plays against us. Um, no matter who they have out there, no matter who we have out there, I, it's been such, we've lost them so many times in a row. And it, you know, basically since the championship year where I think we we split two and two when they were coached by Doc at that point, right? Um, but like, yeah, it, it just, we've had like this, this barrier that we have not been able to cross against this team. And it started out exactly as I projected, like, the Clippers were shooting 70% or something absurd in the first quarter. And look, the Lakers, especially in first halves, haven't been playing great uh, defensively, in my opinion, so far. Um, maybe not a bad sign because their second half defense seems to be a lot better, suggesting, you know, they're adjusting appropriately. But, you know, I, I, I just like it started going down the path that I thought it was going to go down. And the guys like they've done in all five of our games so far hung in there, played through, you know, whatever. I don't want to call it adversity and make it like overly dramatic, but played through, you know, the, you know, the the slow start. And this roster like does not roll over like, OK, la- yeah, we were not as depleted as the Clippers. But Rui and Vando are like two guys who are pretty much acquired for like the purpose of playing teams like the Clippers where like, you know, your main players are like big wings. Right. So it's, we had plenty of opportunity to just roll over like we did in most of our other, you know, first uh, few games here. And we didn't, we hung around eventually in the second half, the shots started to fall. We were able to string together some defensive stops. We were able to put together some lineups you know, that made sense, especially with those big lineups we used in the second half. Um, and people can say what they want. People can say, oh, well, they didn't have Harden. Oh, they just came, we're coming off a trade. Oh, I was the second night of a back-to-back. These Nobody can pretend like this game didn't matter to both sides, right? And and both sides have something to prove to each other, to the, where the, you know, to the rest of the conference. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George have not played, like, back-to-back games like this in how many years dude i mean they were fighting like jockeying for playoff position last year and they were like holding Kawhi and paul like you know front night of a back-to-back sitting Kawhi and paul george in the second half because they were getting beat and then second night of the back-to-back just sitting them out right you know like this is the kind of clippers that's why they, they tend to be targeted when people talk about playing resting players resting right but anyway they haven't played in years. Those guys played 40 minutes of a second night of a back-to-back. LeBron and AD were playing heavy minutes. This game obviously mattered to both sides. Um, and it was an intense early season game, of which we've had several so far. 
And we hung around and we did what we needed to do to win. And those are the types of things that are going to help at the end of the season. Like these are the, you know, people talk so much about resting and like making sure everyone's ready for the end. And like, that's why we can't play back to backs. And, but these are those moments where the guys just have to like come together, push through the tiredness, push through whatever, you know, push through the injuries on the fringes on the roster and, come together against a team that's playing well and figure out how to come up with a win. And you do that 82 times. Sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. But if you do that 82 times in good faith, it's going to help you in the playoffs. Um, and and I appreciate that this group is is not trying to skip steps, which it feels like every team wants to do nowadays. Yeah, no, and they did so in very entertaining fashion. I feel like at some point, LeBron James looked over at his family in the stands, saw his sons, and was like, this is so embarrassing that I keep losing to the Clippers like this enough already. And then that's when he went on that tear in the fourth quarter when he had like 12 points on five of six from the field. I think he had five assists. Like, he had an incredible fourth quarter. I think whatever LeBron did in the fourth quarter already surpassed Austin Reeves' total averages this season. So just to let you know, like, how well LeBron James played. There were so many different storylines for so many different players, I feel like. Even looking at, you know, the Russell Westbrook revenge game. So I think that's why, you know, when I say the game lived up to the hype, it really did. And I'm just glad that the Lakers were able to end this stupid 11 11 straight games lost to the Clippers streak. So... And let me just say one more thing that you reminded me of really quick on the LeBron point. He's had already a few games this year where he has stepped up in the fourth quarter in a big way. Um, You recall in our championship season, even the year after, I mean, a big part of this team's identity since getting LeBron has always been has been LeBron's ability to take over in the fourth. You know, when we did not see that last year, because and, and, and look, the minutes restrictions and all this and that have have and will continue to be a big talking point, right? But, and maybe, you know, people could look at the minutes LeBron played last night and played the game before and say, I guess the game before wasn't so bad, but, you know, like a few games this year, he's been high 30s in minutes. And people could point to that and say, like, it's too much this early in the season. I think the reason he had this much energy is about how those minutes are managed within a game, right? I think that's the more important thing. He was coming off a 33-minute night, against the magic. Okay. With the, and then had a day off, but how many times last year did we go into fourth quarters with LeBron already at 30 minutes? You know what I mean? Like just because mm-hmm. like we had to, to just stay remotely competitive in the game. Now LeBron can come into the, you know, into the fourth in the mid twenties, like he's gotten his rest throughout and he can kind of carry us the rest of the way And I'm not saying that's like a recipe that, you know, you necessarily want to lean on for 82 games. But as this team finds its identity, like that is a nice thing to fall back on. And frankly, when playoff time comes around, that's what every team does. It becomes like we see it every year. I mean, the Nuggets, I think, are a, a pretty good exception to this rule. But even they like right, like late game situations, close games on the playoffs, the deeper you get it's going to be pick and roll with your two best players and then like trying to like figure something out, out from that. Right. Like and, and so it's nice that LeBron is getting those reps now. Yeah. And I think he's done a good job and maybe the team and him are gaining a better understanding and rhythm of when to put the foot on the gas pedal. Right. And to your point, look, the funny thing is, and we'll get to this in a, in a, in a second, but 
LeBron James took over in the second half and in the fourth quarter, but guess what he did in overtime? He uh, paved the way for Austin Reeves to do his thing. He barely got any on-ball reps that overtime. Yeah. Um, so yeah, LeBron James, 12 points, three rebounds, five assists, one steal, five of six from the field just in the fourth quarter alone. He looked like a madman out there. He was taking some wild one-footed fadeaway J's and threes. I thought he had lost his mind, but they kept going in. It kind of felt like someone was playing 2K and got control of LeBron and the score didn't matter and they were just trying shit out. But the Lakers were actually trying to mount a comeback at that point. And I was kind of questioning the shot selection, but LeBron was just on a heater. uh, So it didn't matter. And he was also slinging the ball around too with five assists, obviously. Ended the night with uh, 35 points, 12 rebounds, seven assists, 13 of 19 from the field, four of eight from three, his best game of the season. Yeah, uh, he, definitely. LeBron James is nine of 22 from three in his last three games. So nice to see his three point shot come around. Now the Lakers are three and two last season. The Lakers didn't get their third win of the season till their 13th game in mid November. And <laughs> here, we, here we are through five games at the start of November, working things out, progressing day by day, still ahead of schedule. And yeah, again, Coming into last night's game, the Lakers had lost 11 straight to the Clippers. The streak was finally snapped. I will say, I feel like the Clippers are going to be very scary with James Harden if they're healthy. How they manage the Russell Westbrook pairing and the usage distribution between them two plus Kawhi and Paul George is very interesting. But that's their problem. Yeah, that's their problem and not ours anymore. So good luck. But if they're healthy, I can see, I can envision a scenario and a high ceiling where. They're a very potent offensive powerhouse that's going to be tough to guard. Now, it's going to be up to teams like the Lakers to then take advantage of them on the other end because they don't seem to be like a good defensive team, especially with all the forwards that they lost. And even though they have Zubats and Plumlee, clearly the Lakers were able to attack the interior. Um, Oh, yeah. So let's see. What is your – let's move on to what your – best play of the game is so i want to ask you what your best play of the game is and what your most important play of the game is and i'm interested to see how you interpreted these two questions i guess best play to me is kind of like what's your individual like highlight play that stood out to you that was kind of fun most important play is kind of uh, self-explanatory so for best play what do you want to go with um maybe we'll put aside the austin reeves to the lebron james law because that's kind of yeah that was a renaissance painting moment And it was actually a pretty risky play because I think we were only up by like two points at that point. And the way Austin Reeves had been passing the ball the whole night, it could have easily been a turnover. So I was like, you sure you you want to do this, Austin? But he threw a perfect lob and LeBron James was able to get up there and uh, throw down the hammer jam. But outside of the Austin to LeBron lob of destiny, what what is your best play of the night? I think best play of the night and maybe, maybe... I don't know. There were so many, but the one I would uh, maybe highlight for right now is the Christian Wood tip dunk at the end, and and mm-hmm. not just like oh he, like he did a three hundred and sixty reverse flip, like it was just a normal tip dunk, right? But I think it like you know it's a nice symbol of all of the things that he's done positively for this group. The last couple nights, he's mm-hmm. last couple games, excuse me, he's had good effort on the defensive end, good shot blocking, good secondary rim protecting. But the big, big, big thing has been the rebounding. Um, And that's what that play showed, right? Like he didn't get the shot. He didn't, you know, it wasn't his, the play wasn't called for him, 
but he crashed the boards on the offensive glass. He had an uncontested like lane. He took it. He grabbed the ball and just easily dunked it in, and that sealed the game, right? That made it a five-point game, and and that was it. So Christian Wood, I, you know, we've talked a lot of – we've said a lot of positive things about him so far, but but that play to me was was uh, the play of the game. I mean, it led to the win. Yeah. No, I like that, and obviously the context behind that shot, where if you guys haven't heard, apparently Christian Wood credited D'Angelo Russell for that play because on the sidelines you can see D'Angelo Russell telling Christian Wood – hey, if you don't get the shot, they're not boxing people out. Go for the board. And that's literally what he did. You know, Cam Reddish missed the three, and here's Christian Wood skying in with the two-handed put-back dunk. So, I, I, yeah, I like that play and everything that it stood for and how it was so emblematic thus far of Christian Wood's tenure with the Lakers of just being a gritty, garbage man type of guy who, you know, doesn't care about the shots he gets. So, Awesome. Another awesome growth play from Christian Wood. Uh, For me, my best play is the Austin Reeves crossover in the third quarter where Anthony Davis actually trips up Norm Powell or Bones Highland, whoever was guarding Austin Reeves. But it didn't matter. Austin Reeves had the guy going the other way anyways. He's yeah. He pulls up for that jump shot. He's wide open, and the crowd goes wild. The bench goes wild. And the reason why I picked this as my best play of the game is not because Austin Reeves crossed the dude up, because, again, he kind of was aided by <laughs> Anthony Davis tripping up his defender, but more so the fact that I feel like that play really instilled confidence back into Austin Reeves at a time where he was having such a horrendous game, dude. And given how his season has gone, the fact that you can say it got even worse is very telling. Like, he couldn't dribble the ball in the first half. He was making some boneheaded passes again. I was like, who is this player? I think I tweeted out at halftime a joke and comped him to, I tweeted out a picture of Nick Stauskas, and I was like, Austin Reeves right now. You know, so, I mean, that's how bad Austin Reeves was playing. But I feel like this shot really injected him with that him life, and he was able to regain his aura again. And I feel like this kind of subconsciously maybe set him up for what he ended up doing in overtime when he took over, you know? So that's why it was my best play of the game. Now, what is your most important play of the game? Well, so it's funny you bring that bring up the awesome thing because I was going to bring it up for the pretty much the same reason oh, okay. as my most important nice. play. And so I guess I'll just build off what you just said. But, sure. you know, Austin, we've been chatting a lot about this offline. Right. But Austin is a huge, huge part of what this team needs to do if, you know, it, it will, he's going to be a huge, huge part of this team if we're successful, if he's. If he's not a huge part, it's most likely we're not going to be successful. Um, we're going to need that both of our guards to hit shots. We're going to need them to make plays. You know, LeBron is is old at this point. Um, Anthony Davis is a big man who needs to be set up. Like we knew going into this season, our two guards and how they play together, and and you know everything like like their their entire season was was going to be very very critical for us. So I think I had pretty much the same thought when Austin had that move and then kind of how he responded in overtime as well. Um, D'Angelo had another great game. He's had now strung together several great games, even the first few games where his shooting numbers were not amazing. He was our best. Everyone's shooting numbers were crap. He was still like among our, you know, among the 
bad shooters, he was doing okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, he's had a very, very solid start to the season. And, you know, we've talked a lot about Austin. You know, it's not just the numbers. It's not just, oh, his scoring is lower than I thought. Oh, he's shooting 20% from three. Like, it's not just that stuff. It was just, like, the whole overall, like, picture that we were getting from him. Like, in the past, Austin would score six points, but he would be a plus 13. And, like, you just felt his impact in every facet of the game. I mean, we would talk about it all the time last year, but, you know, in the midst of Russ and... Bonnie and a lot of these like kind of wild guards we had who would turn the ball over a lot. Even LeBron sometimes gets a little loosey goosey with the ball, right? Like there was some stretch last year where Austin had like four games in a row with no turnovers and he was getting assists, you know what I mean? And and handling the ball. And so that was always the thing about Austin. It it was never this like, is he an all-star? Is he not an all-star? Like that's not the debate. The debate is like, you know, how impactful of a player is he and and in what ways? And I think the thing, you know, he showed that he could be more of an impactful player as a scorer in the playoffs. But and that's great, by the way, if he can continue to do that. But like his overall, like, I'm going to get you some rebounds. I'm going to get you some assists without turning it over, by the way, because they're going to be like smart plays. I'm going to have good awareness on both ends. So I'm going to get the steals on defense because I'm a smart player. Maybe I don't get the assists on offense, but I'm going to get the hockey assist because I'm a smart player. Like, you just always felt confident that Austin was not going to screw something up. And through four games, it that did not feel like the case. You almost, like, cringed when he touched mm-hmm. the ball because he it was almost, like, his turnovers were higher than ever. You know, like, he, his shots, his shooting percentage was lower than ever. And it didn't feel like the same guy. And, and... And, you know, you did then the doubt starts to creep in and I'm sure it did for him as well. And it's like, well, who is this guy really? Right. And then you're right. He got that play. He got the crowd excited. He hit a mid range jumper. You know, you could sort of sense his confidence growing a little bit. And then he carried that into the the, the overtime period and and hopefully into future games. And, and that's why I say it's the most important play for me in the game. Or, sorry, that yeah, most important play for me. Because going forward, we really, really need this guy to step mm-hmm. it up. And if he just plays like, again, he sh- I think he shot 5 for 12 or 5 for 13. It was not, like not a great shooting night. A lot of those misses, granted, were in the first half uh, when he did play a lot worse than he did in the second half in overtime. But, you know, I'm less fussed about the 5 for 13 and more, you know, interested in the assists. I think he had seven assists. I think he had like seven yeah. boards, you know, like those are the things that are going to be, he had like two or, or so steals. Like those things are so much more important for this group. And if he can keep, build a little bit off of, you know, the momentum of, of his success in the last game and, and start to string together several decent games in a row, it's it's just going to make everybody else's life so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe like four of his five turnovers all came in the first half. And then in overtime, he had seven points, which led the entire Lakers team. And overtime was kind of like a mirroring of, 
you know, the I am him game versus Memphis, where it was high pick and roll with him and AD, and he's going down the lane, snaking the pick and roll at 100 miles per hour, and then just pulling up out of nowhere and getting his defender up in the air. He's pump faking, he's spinning, he's getting and ones, he had an and one mid-range jump shot, and then he got Norm Powell with a head fake, and then hit another jump shot, got some free throws, and then he got that lob to go with uh, LeBron James that really set the house on fire at Crypto.com Arena, and it was just you know, a perfect ending for Austin Reeves. You kind of got to see the peaks and valleys of his entire journey that whole game. And at the end, you know, Anthony Davis and LeBron James bum rushed him. I forgot what they they were yelling. They were like, go in the game, Austin, go in the game or something like that. But that was a nice sort of punctuation moment for the entire team that everybody still believed in him. D'Angelo Russell has been trying to uplift him during this tough time. And the fact that LeBron James and Anthony Davis kind of let him do his thing again at the end of overtime and trusted him to do so. Really great story arc there in a random Lakers-Clippers game on a random Wednesday night. Um, My most important play of the game, this is going to be super hipstery, but very simple, My most important play of the game is kind of two plays, but kind of the same concept. And it is D'Angelo Russell sinking both of his free throws at the end of regulation to make it a three-point game. And then Austin Reeves sinking both of his free throws at the end of overtime to also make it a three-point game. And the overall theme here is clutch free throw shooting from our guards. And it's just what a relief to have, you know, because... Last season, the past couple of years, that's either going to LeBron James or AD, who are at best doing one of two from the line, right? And the fact that our guards can go in there, our skill guards, and you can actually rely on them to hit both free throws, if they had missed one of those free throws, we're not in overtime. You know, Paul George goes down and hits that three, and they're up by one. Right. Um, so huge clutch free throw shooting that I don't think Lakers fans should be taking for granted. So those are my most important plays of the game. All right, let's take it to break. When we return, I want to talk some Cam Reddish, and then we'll also talk about some Christian Wood and any other macro takeaways we had from the game. So we will catch you guys after the turn. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, so we are back. Tommy, before we get to Cam Reddish, what were your thoughts on the... Christian Wood, Jackson Hayes, Anthony Davis, Triple Towers lineup of death, (laughs) where when Darvin Ham trotted that out, everybody was losing their minds on Twitter. They're like, what the hell is this? And then they were the most dynamic group of the night, dude. They were. It was amazing to watch. And I hope we see more, by the way. But but you go ahead first and I'll give you more. Yeah. I mean, they were so dynamic, athletic, lanky. They were explosively scary it was a lot of fun to watch um and i think it's crazy because christian wood you see him get switched out onto Kawhi. you see him get switched out onto kevin durant you also saw jackson hayes get switched out onto Kawhi a couple of times last night and our bigs can hang with these wings on the perimeter you know and because of that it's almost like you get this weird ass dynamic between all of these power forwards and centers where they can just switch everything, you know? And it doesn't matter if they're camped out or isolated out on the perimeter against these ball hand, ball handling wings. 
they can hang. And because they're so long, I mean, look, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, they can drive it into the lane, but they're kind of professional jump shooters at the end of the day. They want to shoot a mid-range jump shot. And because Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood and Anthony Davis have the length that they do, if they can just shuffle their feet a little bit and stick with them, then they can contest that shot way better than a Max Christie, even a Cam Reddish, you know? So to me, defensively, like, it also allowed Anthony Davis to play up because he knew, oh, Christian Wood and Jackson Hayes are behind me to protect the rim. I don't have to be the sole rim protector. And then at times, Christian Wood and Jackson Hayes could be defending the perimeter against Kawhi and Paul George because they know Anthony Davis is back there. So it's just like, I don't know, the mobility and agility of that group alongside their length was kind of really caused the Clippers a lot of problems. So yeah, your thoughts. I guess like, and this is like something that I feel like we have to talk about so often, but for some reason it just always comes up, right? I think the lazy take of the last decade in the NBA is big men don't matter. Size doesn't matter. And it's all perimeter shooting. I, I think here's what has changed in the, in the old days, in the nineties, early two thousands, especially, you know, you think of the Lakers with Shaq, you needed a semi-competent big man to have a chance. I think now you do not. But that does not mean that it's not like you can't win playing big. We won two years ago playing 82 games big. I mean, we played big in several series in the playoffs. You know, we maybe we didn't play big against uh, Miami in the finals. We didn't play big uh, against. I can't remember who we played after. Oh, against Houston, obviously. Um, but we played big against Denver. We played big against Portland, you know, and and. We imposed our size on these teams. What we saw last night with this group was these guys imposing their size on Mm -hmm. on this team. And and by the way, you know, this is I I give the coaching staff huge, huge props for even trying something like this. We know we did not see this in the preseason. Yeah. And they were like, let's just bring this out and see what the hell happens. And it's smart because 80 can really move his feet on the perimeter. So if you're thinking about like who between the four, five and three, 80 can guard the three. Wood has shown that he can guard fours. And then you have Hayes as the last line of defense. It solves the rebounding problems that we've had, you know, with some of our yep. other lineups. But it also, you know, it because Wood can hit threes at a decent clip, and even AD this mm-hmm. year can hit some mid-range jumpers. Like, I can't remember if he took a three in the Clipper game, but he's obviously hit his share of threes this year, right? So he's not completely, like, shooting 25% or something this season like he has in the last couple of years. So... Because of that, you know, and Jackson Hayes' supreme athleticism, you can get away with a lot of things. And guess what? If you're missing shots, you have three huge guys who can crash the boards. I mean, the Denver Nuggets, like, are they an elite perimeter shooting team? Of course. But they did not win the championship last year because of their elite perimeter shooting. They won the championship because of their shooting, but... They pounded teams inside. I mean, they play Jokic at the five, who's a load, right? And then they play Michael Porter Jr., who's like a 6'10 small forward, and Aaron Gordon, who's 6'9 at the, you know, as a four, but like is super strong and athletic and is really wants to play like in the low post and and around the rim. So and that was like, you know, Bruce Brown, big guard who plays physical. Like they physically dominated teams. They physically dominated mm-hmm. us in the playoffs last year. That's why we lost. And physical domination is still a formula for success. I know that the Warriors have a lot of guards who can shoot threes. I know that the Clippers now have this crazy team. 
you know, that, that, that has like some of the most elite perimeter shooting players in NBA history or, or perimeter players in NBA history. So like, I, I understand that these teams exist. I just still think that like, you know, we kind of saw a preview last night because guess what? The Clippers might've been missing James Harden, but James Harden is not fixing anything defensively against that lineup. Right. So like, you you want to put your your lineup with you know Kawhi and Paul George and like three guards out there, which by the way with their new roster they're gonna to have to run a ton of three guard lineups. But you know again just using the Clippers as an example, like fine you want to put that lineup out there. Like AD Jackson Hayes and Christian Wood are going to destroy you. I mean they had no answer for these guys in the paint, and it, it just felt like a manhandling. And that is still a recipe to win some games. Okay, so. The nice thing about this roster, what we talked about it all off season, is we have the personnel to win in multiple ways. We don't need to have a night, you know, where we're hitting all of our perimeter shots. We don't need to, you know, play. We don't need to everything to click right the exact, you know, the same way every single night to win like some teams do. We can win in different ways. Some days we'll beat you with our perimeter shooting. Some days we'll beat you with our defense and transition. Some days we can just physically dominate you with our size and LeBron and AD and Wood and Hayes. There's so many things we can do. And big, big props to the coaching staff for trying that lineup. Because, you know, for all the crap we gave Darwin last year for his like wonky three to five guard lineups that he he deployed at various times, like I did not expect to see this group even tried and he tried it game five of the season. Yeah. And it was kind of out of desperation though. You know, I'm not taking anything away from Darvin ham, but it kind of leads to my next segue or it perfectly segues us into, you know, I feel like it was almost a blessing in disguise that both Gabe Vincent and Torian Prince were out <laughs> because I think it allowed Darvin ham to try this big man unit out and he didn't he couldn't go to Gabe Vincent who provides that scrappy gritty defense it's like well let's see how this three-headed monster these this three-headed big man lineup works and it worked out to perfection and I'm hoping because he saw that he will continue to trot it out even when Gabe Vincent and Torian Prince are out and you remember one of the one of the podcasts that we had in the offseason I asked you and I didn't even I didn't even include Jackson Hayes into this group but I was like is this the most versatile and talented and skilled forward crop that we've ever had since Pow, Odom, and Bynum, right? And you said it probably is. And I can say that while still not having seen a lot of Rui Hachimura and Jared Vanderbilt this season, you know? Yeah. So include them into this group and it's just like, it's yeah, the crazy. problem is, is more how do you find enough minutes for these guys so that they can stay in a rhythm? But yeah. man, it's like... and but. Yeah, Go ahead. I, I, yeah, and I, and just to add on to that, you've kind of already seen it, and, and the problem is it hasn't been a big enough sample for us to fully see how they'll deploy the, these guys, right? But we, you know, we we did a pod after the first couple of games, and we and we brought this up. The way that these guys are all going to get minutes is if we play big, and that means that Gabe, D'Angelo, and Austin are not taking a hundred percent of the backcourt minutes. That means that Torian has to slide down sometimes. Um, you know, uh, you could play LeBron at the one and just play that same group of three, like massive forwards plus LeBron plus another, yeah, maybe one smaller guard. You know, like there are ways that we can do it. And I think that the fact that these sorts of big lineups have had success early is a really, really, really 
good thing for this team because now I have some confidence that Darwin is going to continue trying these types of things. Yeah. Like, screw it, dude. Let's 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 throw like AD, Vando, Rui, LeBron, and Gabe Vincent out there and just see yeah. what happens. You know, what I mean? it's like yeah. Gabe is really more of a two on offense anyway. You have LeBron to play the one. Gabe can guard the small guards, and then you just have a massive group that are just going to pummel teams on the inside. Like it's going to be a manhandling and that's what we did. Right. It's like, again, we're not looking that far away from a recipe that worked three years ago. Like people kind of undersell it because of how the playoffs went. We played 82 games effectively with three centers. AD AD rarely played center. It was like a, you know, 30% of his minutes were playing the five. But we had these AD and Dwight Howard lineups that would go out there and just manhandle teams in the paint. And Dwight had his resurgence here and all this and that. So, you know, there, there it is. It, it, this formula can still win you games in the modern era. And I think as, you know, teams adjust to the Nuggets and it, certainly in the future with Wendy on the Spurs, like you're going to see more and more of this. Right. Like like teams realizing, OK, I guess like playing guys all six seven and under at all five positions is not necessarily going to help us win every night yeah we need to impose our will and force teams to go big again against us because we actually have the personnel to do so and even if you compare this to what happened in 2019-20 i mean these guys are way more offensively versatile as well so it's just yeah keep keep trying it is all i'm gonna say let's close this episode talking about the uh Maybe most polarizing player on this roster, uh, the surprise start of the night, Cam Reddish. I told you he was good, Tommy. Uh, he apparently yes. found out. <laughs> he apparently found out that he was starting pretty much a minute before he was starting. And when I say he's a polarizing player, Tommy, I mean it because when people found out that Cam Reddish was starting in place of Torian Prince. Oh boy, did they lose their shit. And I'm talking about Lakers fans. And I don't know what it is about. I mean, I guess this is just, you know, again, people know Twitter is not a real place. But I don't know what it is about some Lakers fans and some people on Twitter who like to think they're smarter than they really are and think they have this shit all figured out. And so they like to pile on some of these like wild high upside players who haven't panned out yet, thinking that, you know, I've seen enough of this guy's play. He's never going to work out. Let's not even give this dude a chance. And yeah, people were losing their minds over Cam Reddish getting burned in the preseason, saying that his time in the NBA is done after one preseason game. That's crazy. And then, ag- and then again, they were losing their minds this week when Darvin Ham had an interview and he said that he just wanted to get a look at Cam first before Max Christie. And they're like, oh my God, this is, isn't is fair. What a horrible message to send to homegrown talent Max Christie, who's homegrown worked hard all summer. I know, I was like, Max Christie has worked hard all summer and you're going to let Cam Reddish get minutes? And I'm like, how do you know Cam Reddish wasn't working hard all summer too? Yeah. So, so just, well, he wasn't homegrown, Jonathan. <laughs> he wasn't homegrown, Cam Reddish. And <laughs> people just losing their minds over this Cam Reddish stuff and thinking they've got this guy all figured out because he hasn't lived up to the lottery hype and because he doesn't seem like a high basketball IQ player. And so people want to seem smart on Twitter, right? And what do you know, after all that outrage, he ends up being our best non-AD, non-big man defender out there on the perimeter last night. Oh, and by really, far. By far, and he ignited the Lakers in transition. Oh, yeah. 
Cam Reddish only had eight points and shot two of seven from the field, but he probably generated 12 to 14 points off of his defense alone. Like the way the Lakers were able to score right off the bat off a Cam Reddish block, a Cam Reddish steal was insane. The, the Lakers, fast break wise, they had 23 points to the Clippers' nine points. That's huge. And a lot of that, again, was ignited by Cam Reddish's defense. His defensive activity, his tenacity, the fluidity and mobility that he had snaking through these screens defensively, shadowing PG and Kawhi. Look, a lot of people are going to say, what are you talking about? Kawhi Leonard had 35 points. Paul George had like 38 points. Paul George shot well from the field. Like, those stats do not tell the tale of what Cam Reddish did last night. And I cut up some tape of everything he did last night. And the field goal percentage doesn't show how many times Cam Reddish got those guys to turn the ball over, you know? It doesn't show when Cam Reddish cut off a driving lane to cut off one of Kawhi Leonard's driving lanes where he had to pass it out to Russell Westbrook for a bad three-point shot. It also doesn't show when Cam Reddish had to be switched on to other guys like Bones Highland, Norman Powell, Russell Westbrook, and he did a fantastic job on those players as well. He was contesting shots like his life depended on it last night. I was just super impressed by the guy and more so impressed because I know what the discourse was surrounding his start last night and what the discourse has been through freaking five games of the regular season at the start of this season, you know, and like what people are saying and just the pylon. And I'm like, can people act like we've gone through seasons with Russell Westbrook as our starting point guard? This is a veteran minimum dude who's getting 14 minutes at most. And when he got his first start, he showed out defensively and really ignited us. And I feel like now the talking point on Cam Reddish is the fact that he sucks on offense, right? He's not he's not giving anything on the offensive end. And for me, I'm like, do you know how telling that is that people are now like their go-to slight on Cam Reddish is he sucks on offense because coming into this season or coming into anytime Cam Reddish comes to a new team, like the hype surrounding him always has to do with his offensive production and what a bucket he is. So for me, I think the offense is going to come around. And even if it doesn't, we're not asking Cam Reddish to be an on-ball primary creator anyways. Um, We just need him to shoot threes or hit some of his threes. And even in spite of the fact that he hasn't been able to hit his three-point shots, he still has more three-pointers than Gabe Vincent on the season, sadly. Um, And I know the misses look really bad, but it's not like Cam Reddish doesn't have a history of getting hot from three or having hot stretches from three. He shot like 38% with the Hawks through half of the season before he got traded to the Knicks, okay? But regardless, the defense is where it was at with Cam Reddish. He made life difficult for Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. If that's not reflected on the field goal percentage, it is reflected in the turnovers that they had. It's reflected in the Lakers' fast break points. It's reflected in the fact that Kawhi Leonard started out blistering hot in the first half and only ended the game 4 of 10 in the second half in overtime. But yeah, what are your thoughts on Cam Reddish? Because he is surprising and shutting a lot of people up. So I agree with some of what you said and and disagree in, in some other ways. But my okay, here's my perspective on, on the Cam Reddish stuff. I don't like Cam Reddish as a player. I was always confused about the trade rumors. I watched this guy at Duke, right? This, I mean, when he was at Duke, he this was, I think, back in, yeah, we were still back in like a lotto team status right so he was highly 
touted he was going to be a top 10 pick. Everyone knew at that time, right? From his Duke days, I always thought Cam Reddish looks like a basketball player who doesn't actually know how to play basketball. But and, and so I guess that the the area I disagree with you a little bit on is and maybe I just am not aware of his reputation, but I never I never viewed Cam Reddish as like, oh, this guy's going to come in and like provide an offensive spark for us. That to me has never been his game. It's always been like what he's projected to be maybe one day. I mean, if, if people remember when he was coming out of college, he got a lot of Paul George comps because of his size and his fluidity uh, moving around with the ball. And you can see it in, in bursts. But what I will say is Cam Reddish always had the tools to be a great defender. He's tall. I mean, he's huge, right? He's a solid 6'8". And, and we talk a lot about these wings who are 6'6 guys with 7-foot wingspans, 6'7 guy with a 7'1 wingspan. Sometimes, like, size is size. You know, Cam Reddish has the wingspan, but he is a solid 6'8", and he's strong, and he's athletic, and he always had the tools on, on the defensive side. And I always wondered, like, yeah, maybe the shot is inconsistent. Maybe he's breaking some wide-open shots, but he can hit enough to maybe keep a defense honest, which is all you really need. But why is he not able to stay on the floor? Why is he not able to figure out how to use these tools to his advantage on the defensive side? And this year, and again, I did not fall that closely. Um, just, just probably box score watching, like like anybody else was, you know, for non-Laker players a lot of the time. But it, he he is so much better defensively than I could have ever imagined. I mean, and I don't know how much of this is new and how much of this is just who he's always been. The way he moves around the perimeter, dude, it's like a 6A. I mean, he's like as big as LeBron James. And he's like moving around on the perimeter and, you know, sliding through these screens like he's a guard, like a, like mm -hmm. a, like he's Gabe Vincent. I mean, he, he is so fluid and he uses and he's using all of his tools. He's using that length. He's blocking shots on the perimeter. He's disrupting the hell out of passes on the perimeter. He's jumping passing lanes to get like, you know, easy steals to create buckets for himself or his, or his teammates he picked paul george clean on a crossover paul mm -hmm. george has one of like the tightest handles in the nba and he's known for that right and and cam reddish just one-on-one -on -one iso picked him picked him clean and led to a fast break you know so it's like he he has exceeded my wildest expectations through five games on that end i understand the general sentiment that like guys want to see Max Christie get a chance because, you know, the Lakers have a history of finding these second round picks who were maybe undervalued and developing, developing them internally. And everybody saw the physical jumps that Max made. Everybody saw the, the actual encore production jumps Max made in the, certainly in the summer league. And even in the first, I would say the first half of the preseason games, um, at least, and so I can understand like an argument that like I, I just want to see how that all fits or how that works in real NBA action. I get that, but it's an overreaction. Cam Reddish is four years older. He's four years more physically developed. I'm not even going to get into the technicalities of who is technically better right now and, and all this and that. But all I'm saying is he deserves his shot, too. We are at the end of the day trying to win a game. As far as I, my eyes can tell, Cam Reddish and Max Christie are both expiring contracts. We have no idea if we're going to be able to retain Max Christie, and we need to we need to win it. We're trying to win a championship this year, so it would be completely foolish to not give this guy a look 
and see what he can do. Now, when Rui and Vando and these types of guys are back in the rotation, maybe it becomes a different discussion. And it's like if Cam is taking minutes from those guys and those guys seem productive, like maybe that's a discussion we can have. I just think doing the Max Christie like direct comp and saying like, oh, like, like, like there's no you can't say with a straight face objectively overall on both sides of the court right day right now today i can tell you for a hundred percent with hundred percent honesty cam reddish is a better player than max christie or max christie's a better player than cam reddish you cannot say it so try both and see what happens and and like i said i was a huge cam reddish skeptic I've disliked the guy pretty much his entire career. I'm sorry, I don't dislike him. I dislike his game. I just I I've never I've never really seen him, you know, in real NBA action, even in college where he was doing things that I'm like, yeah, this guy gets it. I've never had those moments and I've been so so surprised with what he's done in his short burst this year. I mean, again, this is not like a Avery Bradley situation where the dude is running for 35 minutes a night out there because He's our only guy playing perimeter defense. We're talking about like between these two guards, him and Max, who are going to be or big forwards, whatever you want to call them, who are who are going to be who's going to be the guy who can step up and for 10 minutes play some defense. And if we need it in a crucial moment, that's what we're looking for. And viewing it through that lens, there's no way you can tell me that Max Christie is certainly better than Cam Reddish. You know, it's just it's not possible. Well, and here's the thing. You don't necessarily even have to pit them against each other because I really like the looks of both of them out there at the same time last night when Max Christie also got time because you can switch both of them. And Max Christie, you know, even though he didn't shoot the ball well, I think he had like a team high nine deflections last night or something. Um, So he even showed out really well defensively as well. And I think, again, we saw some looks of them paired together defensively in the preseason too. And... I really liked how physical both of them were, except Cam Reddish has like two or three inches on Max Christie and has a longer wingspan. And Cam Reddish almost detonated the hell out of Ivica Zubats on that baseline, you know, posterized posterized dunk attempt that almost blew the roof out of Crypto.com Arena. It certainly blew the roof out of the Lakers bench, who they lost their minds for a second there. And the other thing about Cam Reddish, outside of his fluidity and mobility, is even though he looks rail thin, he's also pretty strong and he's able to absorb these body contacts and really hang with guys like, yeah, with these beefier, stronger, more cut guys like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George defensively. So it's not just that he can stick with them, but it's like he's taking these body blows and he's holding his ground, which is what I was really impressed by. And to clarify my point on Cam Reddish's reputation as an offensive player, I'm saying it more as what a lot of other NBA players of his ilk were saying with regards yeah. to Cam Reddish other being a NBA bucket. Other NBA players have big respect for Cam Reddish. I will say for some reason. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I, I, and I'll tell you too, like when if you've ever seen Cam Reddish during his hot streaks with the Atlanta Hawks, the way that he gets his points are on-ball creation. He's dribble driving and doing these Paul George snaking the pick and rolls, pulling up for mid-range jump shot stuff. He just doesn't do it consistently well, and he doesn't have the as tight of a handle as Paul George, and so you'll frequently see him turn the ball over. It's almost like the THT dynamic, right? When THT was on and when he was hot, he looked like one of the best young players in the league, and then you saw that 
that type of THT, you're only getting one out of every five nights, and then the other four nights is a complete disaster on the offensive end. He's not making the right reads. He's not making his teammates better. All he can do offensively is one-on-one type stuff, and if that's not going for them, then they're completely lost. So that's what I'm saying about you know, Cam Reddish coming into this, like a lot of his hype has always been about his offensive production. And I just find it funny that people are complaining about his lack of offense when really what I think they're saying is he's just not hitting his threes because the Lakers are not going to ask Cam Reddish to be an on-ball primary creator, right? That doesn't even matter. It's just hit your baseline threes and we're good. Even if you don't continue to run the floor hard, continue to find the open spaces with these off-ball cuts and continue to just play defense because at the end of the day, if we can even just get a better Troy Brown like proxy, I'll live with that for 14 minutes a game. And at the end of the yeah. day, maybe the floor here is just he is like a, a stopgap stand-in for Jared Vanderbilt, and that's fine because what he's shown us is just maybe our ceiling defensively is even higher than we thought if we can roll all of these guys out there. Yeah. But yeah, that'll do it for our episode. Fun game against the Clippers. Glad we got the win. Three and two. Any win we can get at this stage while we're still trying to figure things out is very important and crucial. And yeah, that was a really fun game. D'Angelo Russell, great game again. He's on the season averaging 19.7 assists, 47% from the field. Tommy, we both had a predictions episode where we thought the other person had a pretty bold take on D'Angelo Russell. I feel like you said... D'Angelo would average 20 points this season. I said, that's crazy. I said D'Angelo Russell would average a career-high 7.2 assists. You thought I was crazy. Well, guess what? He's averaging 19 points and 7 assists, and he might do both. (laughs) (laughs) So it's crazy. Like, props to D'Angelo Russell. He's really stemmed the tide for Austin Reeves here in this early part of the season while Austin Reeves has tried to regain his groove. And there was a, a stretch in the third quarter there where D'Angelo Russell went on an off-ball cutting spree and hit like four straight buckets just off of cuts. And in the third quarter, D'Angelo Russell had 12 points, three assists on five of six from the field. So kudos to D'Angelo Russell as well. Also glad that we don't have Russell Westbrook on our team anymore. With that said, we will catch you guys next time. And hopefully the Lakers will we'll come back from our road trip with a winning record. So uh, yeah, I'm tired. Anyways, lots of fun, lots of lit. I can't talk anymore. Tommy, I will catch you later. Peace. See ya. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.